Come on, let's put our strength into it. All of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. My, 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 my. Just, just enjoying the presence of God. Love what I feel. I love what I feel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To all of our visitors um, that want to stay for this uh, this meal that's been put together, what's a street taco? Okay, now it's probably laced with something. They said street taco. I thought, man, I better get up and talk about that. Okay, it's laced with love. There you go. It's laced with love. And uh, if you're visiting, if you're a first-time visitor and you want to uh, partake of this today, uh, we're going to cover um, we're going to cover the amount that it costs to be a part of this. We're going to take care of that. You're not only getting a free latte, you're going to get a free street taco laced with love. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. It's going to be great. Great to see everybody here today in the house of God. I'd like to direct your attention. I could get just a little bit more monitor up here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My wife called me last night. She said, honey, I'm stuck on the tarmac. And I said, okay, what city are you in? And she said, well, I'm still in Flint. Uh, that's her hometown. And um, so she is with her family. She can't get out of there until tomorrow. There was some atrocious storm that moved through the country yesterday. And I almost told her, don't drink the water. But she drank it for 18 years, so it's a little too late. Someone said, praise the Lord. Holly, you feel good today? Is God, is God real in your world? I want to tell you, that changes everything. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a game changer. God is real. God is real. And he wants to be alive and well and working in your life. And uh, before you leave this place today, uh, you will be given an opportunity to receive what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not a... That's not a human, that's not human vernacular. That is, that is spirit vernacular about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, God has that for you in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to read a few verses. going to ask our very good brother Clark just to kind of stay along with me. When you come to Cornerstone, bring your Bible. Pull it out of the glove box. Get it off the floorboard. In the very back with that dog, the head goes like this. Grab the Bible and come on in. Because this is a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-living, Bible-Bible-Bible church. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to start reading verse number 1. I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, we're going to read 16 verses and uh, that's kind of a lengthy read, so I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you be seated, but I'm just going to request that you stay awake. If you fall asleep, you don't get a street taco. Let's make a deal. It's good to see Sister Bonnie here. 
Sister Bonnie, nice to see you. Glad you're here. I'm glad you're home. She works for an airline. She's all over the place. So the reason why the devil resists you so much is because you're in contact with a lot of people that need this. In fact, let's just pray for Sister Bonnie right now. By the authority of the name of Jesus, your power and your favor upon her life in every area, in every aspect. We pray that you move and we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and thank God for that. Hallelujah. God's going to do it. Amen. God healed Brother Clark in the prayer room today. Listen, if you need a healing, I wouldn't put it off. Why pay the doctor thousands when Jesus already paid it all? Makes no sense, but I understand sometimes it's a process. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writing says, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? So if we were to look at, look at that in a vertical or a linear fashion, it would be God, Christ, man, woman. It's exactly what the apostle is saying in verse number three. Verse number four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Means she was bald. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn, which is a past tense of shear, that means to cut. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power. That word is directly translated from the Greek word exousia, which means authority. Authority. For this cause ought the woman to have authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her, for a covering. That word covering really means veil. In the original, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible, that word is actually veil. 
and New Testament translators had choice of words because the English language has more nuances of choices than any other language in the world. So they had a choice of words when translating that, but, but in the original, it's veil. Verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. I want to talk to us for a few moments uh, today about this important subject about headship, covering, authority, angels, and revelation. Okay? Headship, covering, authority, angels, and revelation. Let's lift our hands and let's pray. Let's lift our voices. Let's talk to God. Let's pray right now. Let's pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation For the next several moments, everything in our lives is put on hold. The spiritual activity that would seek to block our thoughts and to plague our mind would be arrested. And that we can see the clear understanding of the Word of God. Come on, let's pray. God, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we won't fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We love your Word. It's a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. We'll give you the glory and the praise and the honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This is um, this is more uh, more than likely. It's going to be probably uh, more teaching oriented uh, today. But that's okay. Um, It's just it's just whatever needs to happen is uh, we want to be flexible enough. Uh, to do what needs to happen. Um, you could probably tell at the first reading of this, even though you're, um, you may be a student or even a novice uh, in reading your Bible, that there are some things that are probably, you already know in the back of your mind that there's, there's, there's more explanation to what I'm reading here because some things are strange to my ears. This is one of the most apostolically uh, distinctive uh, to us as a group of people of any other scripture that I know of in the entirety of the New Testament. Actually, all of the New Testament is applied to us as being God's people. However, what makes this particular passage of scripture so incredible is that it is a revelation that our lives and our bodies, specifically talking about our hair, um, has implications that is far beyond what we see when we look in the mirror. And the apostle is giving um, an incredible view of this revelation that is being given to the church at Corinth. Now, we need to understand before we even get started here today that I am well aware of the fact, as you are, that scriptures like this have been given to many flightful and fanciful interpretations. In other words, there is resistance to scriptures like this. Um, And I'm not going to take any time here today to explore that. Uh, because that's, that's, that's a big subject, it's for another day. However, suffice it to say, there is an enculturated religious 
rejection of anything that requires um, an individual to do something that they may not either understand or that they just simply don't want to do. And that the basis of that has been uh, the seedbed of many spurious and dangerous doctrines uh, since the Reformation period, even before the Reformation, but we'll use that uh, as a reference. In the 15th century, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther that left the Catholic Church, and he started a reformation of Christianity uh, initially in Europe, but it exploded around the world. And But one of the most negative things of the Reformation is it gave people a personal subjective right, quote-unquote right, to interpret the Word of God the way that they think that it should be interpreted. And that's why there were so many denominations. Uh, the, Martin Luther became the head of the Lutherans, and the Knox brothers became uh, head of the Presbyterians. A man by the name of John Smythe became the father of the Anabaptists, soon to be Baptists. The Wesley brothers became the head of the Methodist Church, so on and so forth. These were men that interpreted the Word of God with subtle differences from other people, and they started huge followings. Brigham Young um, and Joseph Smith of the Mormons, Charles Rutherford of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mary Baker Eddy of uh, Christian Scientists, on and on and on. America, having the freedom of religion, started an explosion of people just saying, well, I don't see it like you, I see it this way, and bringing their family into it and bringing other people, and it started a denomination. I want to tell you that the Bible said that there is no prophecy of the Scripture that is of any private interpretation. There's only one interpretation, and you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the author and the finisher of this book on the inside of you, and he will help you understand all things. The Bible said in John 14, John 15, and John 16 that he, the Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will lead you into all truth. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. You've got to have it. You cannot trust the denomination. You cannot trust even what grandmother believes. And I'm not trying to diminish that. I'm not trying to be derogatory. I would never do that. I'm just trying to say there's only one God, there's only one Jesus Christ, and there's only one truth. Oh, let's praise him again. The good news is it's available to everybody. But you have to, you have to step back from the enculturation and all the voices in this world. And you have, to, you have to see this from God's perspective and not man's perspective. One of the greatest uh, resistances to this particular passage of Scripture is a group of people that is alive and well one of the most notable men that's a spokesman is a man by the name of John MacArthur, John Piper, some of these other men that have vast followings, non-denominational followings. They are, um, theologically, they are called cessationists. Cessation, starting with a C. And what that literally means is they believe that there are some things that have ceased being in operation over the course of the last 2,000 years, even though it's plainly given to the New Testament church. For example, they do not believe in the operation of, of speaking in tongues. They do not believe in any of the vocal gifts. They don't believe in prophecy. They don't believe in the interpretation of tongues. They do not believe in, in speaking another tongue. They do not believe they greatly restrict and hinder because of their belief system. They do not believe that God is doing supernatural miracles. 
but yet they're plainly revealed throughout the book of Acts, which is the foundation and the fundamental beginning of the New Testament church in which miracles and signs and wonders accompanied the preaching of the gospel. They do not believe in those things. They do not believe in a lot of the practices like 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I am amazed um, in, in my preparation for this today. I am amazed how many New Testament lettered, quote-unquote, scholars and biblical commentators will go right over verses 1 through 16, and all of a sudden they're experts in the Lord's Supper, which is covered in the next, the next portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 because Paul is dealing with worship. He is dealing with the public worship of the Corinthians in the apostolic church. And the first 16 verses, he deals with what we're going to talk about today. And the ensuing verses, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And everybody is an expert in the Lord's Supper because it first started with Catholicism. And it was first practiced with the Catholicism. They were safe there. But nobody wants to address what we are going to talk about today because they don't believe it's for today. Ladies and gentlemen, all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. Clap your hands and give God the praise. All Scripture. Amen. We here at Cornerstone, we are champions over the Word of God. And we are not know-it-alls. We do not claim to have arrived. We're, we're in process. We're in progress. But we are, we are aiming in the right direction because we are not deviating from the plain truths of the Word of God. Amen. Not only are there, is there a group of people that do not believe that this has ceased, but there's a group of people that say that it's just irrelevant and it was specific to the culture in which it was written. What that means is, is that the, there were cultural nuances and cultural situations that were taking place in Corinth that required the Apostle Paul to bring this truth before that particular church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Is that Chris Whitmire back there? I want to say it's good to see Chris and Felicia Whitmire here today. I, I couldn't tell. I thought it was Darian until I put my glasses on. And Darian's not here, so he can't get offended by that, but it's good to see them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all pray for me. God's healing people today, and I need God to do a healing. Hallelujah. Oh, we love, we love these people. Not only is there a group of people that theologically say that this is absolutely outdated and God's not doing this today, but the other, on the other side of the scale, where this, which makes this patently a false doctrine, listen to me carefully, is there's people that are saying that it was just for them then. Which means that, that the entirety of the New Testament was written within a cultural context that cannot be duplicated or replicated today. So you can just pick and choose whatever's relevant today, and it's not relevant to us. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a patently false doctrine. All Scripture. All Scripture. The reason for this at Corinth, and the reason why um, 
the reason why they say that is because of the Temple of Diana, that there was um, idolatry that took place in Corinth. And one of the things that they made women do there is, is do weird things to their hair. And out of the argument goes on and on and on until if you're not careful, you almost believe that. But if you look at verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul just absolutely blows that theory out of the water. But if any man seem to be argumentative, we have no such other custom, neither the churches of God. No other apostolic church practice any other thing different other than what has just been given to us. You might be sitting here today saying, you know, I've just never have heard that today. But that does not make it illegitimate. In fact, we as apostolics already understand the challenge in our placement in our world of realizing that we have a whole religious world today that has never even heard the plain truth that is in the Bible. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of good people that are sitting in churches across the land that have never even been told that you are supposed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And when you talk to them, they say, I never saw that. I never heard that. But then you take them to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 9. All you need are two or three to form a doctrine. And then, you, and then you see, after they obey, they go, man, I feel clean. Man, I feel powerful. I feel like I can take on the world. Why? Because the power. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Tell people that you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19, Paul already knew that there was a message already being transmitted around the new world, but yet did not include the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So when he got to Ephesus, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Many people in our world today, they don't even believe. They believe, well, I received the Holy Spirit when I believe. But nothing happened, no changes, can't flick the cigarette, I can't turn the television off, I can't quit internet pornography, I don't even know if I got any power. Ladies and gentlemen, when you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, it'll shake everything loose. And you'll speak with other tongues like they did in the book of Acts. As the Spirit gave the utterance. You say, well, I don't know if I believe all that. This is why this is such a big deal. Who changed it? What's happened is, if you're a student of religious history, is that you understand that Catholicism, after the 4th century, Catholicism ruled and reigned for eleven to 1,200 years and brought all of Europe into what's called the Dark Ages, in which... People were grossly illiterate. Most people didn't travel more than 200 miles from their home. And there were many other things that plagued uh, Europe as a result of the Dark Ages. It was totally brought about by the influence of Catholicism in Europe. Big deal. Big story. There are only several things that I'm aware of as a practitioner of the Word of God that are, that are totally culturally, something that you could say we could change. One of them is found in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, for this present distress, he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about marriage and about remaining single. And he is saying that for this present distress, 
he is saying, let's just put any marriages, let's just put them on hold. The reason for that is, is because of the persecution that was reverberating out of Rome throughout all the eastern bloc of the Roman Empire towards Christianity. That was specific to that day and that hour. Well, how do we know that? Because Paul, writing to Timothy, says, forbid not to marry. So is that a contradiction? It's only a contradiction if you don't understand the background of this. The background is that Paul said, let's just get through this persecution. Let's just lighten up a little bit, and then everybody can fall in love and get married. That was not a permanent request. It was simply because of persecution that was reverberating through the Roman Empire at that time. Number two, and it's found in four or five places in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 20. It says this. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 20. All the brethren greet you and greet you one another with a holy kiss. Stay away from me. A handshake will do. It should be obvious why we don't allow holy kisses. I don't know where those lips have been. I know that's pretty plain, but you can add. Okay? We don't want, I don't want anybody kissing my wife but me. I mean, the kids can, and the dog gets to. But you can't. How did I get on dogs this morning? My intentions were so pure this morning. Hallelujah. But you can see that there are very small inflections here and there, like one-liners that have more nuances, more truth, more to the story. And it's only obvious why we handshake, we hug, brothers hug brothers, and sisters hug sisters, and we keep everything because of the world that we are living in. But that does not apply just because we don't want to do something. Because what you don't know, you don't know. And what you don't know can limit you. And if you continue to exercise that, that non-biblical privilege, it can actually hurt you. What you don't know can hurt you. Cornerstone, one of our preambles that, that defines us as a people and as a church is, I want everything that God has for me. If God has more for me and it's in this book, I will change my life to line up to this book. I don't change this book to fit me. Is there anybody that wants more God here today? Brother Seymour, God's already healed two people in this church in the last five days. You need to get your healing today. I wouldn't go another day without your healing. I'm talking to everybody. I wouldn't leave this building. If God did it for him, why wouldn't God do it for you? First Corinthians 11, church at Corinth, the apostle Paul is the spiritual father of this church. 
started in 1 Corinthians, or Acts chapter number 18, sandwiched, if you please, between the church at Philippi, it was started in Acts 16, in Macedonia, and the church at Ephesus, it started in Acts 19. And so, the Apostle Paul, there are some scholars that believe that there were actually three and possibly even a fourth letter that was written to the Corinthians. However, we only have two. And so that we know that Paul is the author. And the apostle is writing to them. And this is a church that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 said that they did not come behind in any spiritual gift. When you start reading the book of Corinthians and you see, okay, there were ex-adulterers, ex-homosexuals, ex-effeminate, ex-this, ex-drug addicts, ex-alcoholics, ex-thieves, ex-everybody, and such were some of you. You're saying, man, this group of people is really messed up. But Paul was quick to say, this group doesn't come behind in any spiritual gift. I don't care what you were. You are now blood-bought. You are justified. You are sanctified. I don't want to talk about what you were. I want to talk about what you are. I want to talk about what you've got in this world. I want to talk about what we got in that world. Praise God. And so the apostle in this first letter to the Corinthians is giving them an incredible revelation. This is not just a standard of lifestyle because it transcends that. In fact, anything that we do, in fact, the definition of truly being apostolic means is that apostolic doctrine covers three different areas within the New Testament. One of them is completely salvific. It is, it is soteriology. It talks about the blood. It talks about baptism. It talks about regeneration. It talks about the new birth. It talks about walking in the Spirit. It talks about being led of the Spirit. That's all apostolic. That is one, that's one aspect that is apostolic. The other part is procedural. It's talking about the church, the ecclesiastic part of the church, and talking about the difference between saints and then people called out of being saints to be part of the ministry and, and the boundaries of the church and, and the way that we interact as a church. It's all apostolic. It covers a wide swath. Even part of the pastoral epistles would be a part uh, of that. But it covers huge volume within the New Testament. But then you have that part called lifestyle. And God is very interested in how we live. In fact, if you're here today, I, I don't know about you, but I've already been blessed just worshiping with you and just being together. We're already together. We're, we're bonded together by the same spirit. And when we begin to praise God, it, it recycles through all of us. It's circular. It's regenerative. The spirit of God begins to move through all of us and give us all redemptive lift over your issues, over your problems, over your worries, over your fear. That's why it's important to worship God in the spirit. Because when you worship God in spirit and truth, you get lift. You get, you're exalted. When we exalt him, he lifts us up. Clap your hands and give him praise. That's why this church, we can't afford to sit back. We can't afford to lay back. We can't afford to be tired. You can't afford to say, I'm having a bad day. No, no, no. Because all of us pulling together gives everybody redemptive lift. 
It's got to be a revelation. And this church has that revelation. But these are revelations that you're not going to get off the website. It's a revelation you're not going to get just by reading a little bit of literature here and a little bit of literature. This is revelation that is found in the New Testament that is given to the church of the living God. And lifestyle is a huge part of living for God. In fact, God does not bless you because you're here today. God does not bless the pastor because I'm wearing a suit and I'm wearing shoes. I mean, I'm supposed to be covered and all that stuff. God blesses me because of how I live. And when I come and we spend four or five hours a week together, we are bringing that blessing of how God blessed me by how I live. And we're bringing this into a corporate deal where we're all together. And then that's the blessing of God. When you, when you go into a congregation and there's no power or there's less power, the answer is not always sitting on the pew. The answer is sitting in a person's living room. The answer is what they do in that house. It's how they live. It's what they put into their eyes. It's what they put into their heart. It's what they spiritually digest. It's, what, it's what's on the, in the inner man. But when you have people really living for God, and you're living for God on Monday, and you're really living for God on Tuesday, and you're not going to backslide on Wednesday, and, and you're going to go to prayer meeting, and you're really living for God, and then we all get together, it is an explosion. It is powerful. It is like the upper room all over again. Say, Pastor, I don't believe all that stuff. I, I accept the challenge of persuading you of otherwise. But you have, you have to be immersed in this. You can't just read this for five minutes every week and say, well, I already know what's going on. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And so the Apostle Paul is giving this church that is coming out of just a fraction of this church was Jewish. Now, when you, when you get to looking at the book of Galatians, you will see a strong Jewish foundation that is, that is written to the Galatians, uh, in which Abraham is, is, is the star of the book of Galatians. But here in Corinth, it was Gentile. It was predominantly a Gentile church, just like you and I. They were people that were coming out of idolatry, they were people that were coming out of paganism. They were people that came out of know-nothingism. But now they believe the gospel. They've been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And the Apostle Paul is giving to them instruction directly given to him from God to this church about revelations. And in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 is where we are going to start. Everybody said, praise the Lord. This... Um, Verses 1 through 16 is theologically called a parenthetical passage of Scripture. It has the same subject matter. Um, it has a beginning. It has an entrance. It has an outflow in which he flows into another subject matter. And so 16 verses is on the exact same thought, the same revelation, the same, the same issue that he is dealing with can be found in verses 1 through 16. He begins by saying this. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I believe that he prefaces this 
because he realizes that these next 15 verses is going to challenge on every level the belief system and the degree of revelation that that church possessed. And so he is already establishing, follow me as I follow Christ. Which means I am not going to lead you wrong. I am not going to steer you wrong. I am not going to give you misinformation. I am going to give to you exactly what God would have you to hear. Hallelujah. It can be it can be quite an issue in a local church in the 21st century to get everybody on board so everybody is following the pattern. Okay? And I use that terminology, follow the pastor, only in a certain context. And that is, is you have to have a God-called leader. You have to. When you don't have leadership, you have chaos. And that is the will of the devil. It is the will of the devil to not only attack and ridicule um, authority, but to completely remove authority so that you have uh, nothing more than an absolute mob mentality. Where, where doctrine is, is whatever you want to agree, that's fine. You know, you've asked Jesus in your heart, so nothing else really matters. All kinds of misinformation and false doctrine is by not having a God-called leader. The Apostle Paul is firmly nailing this down. They knew this. They were not, they were not argumentative to this. They were not challenging the Apostle Paul. They knew that the Apostle Paul was the spiritual father of this church because it all went back to Acts chapter number 18. And it was through his preaching that this incredible church was birthed. Verse number two, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. Just still, he's prefacing, he's getting people into alignment here because the subject matter that he is going to address is a direct revelation directly from God through the Apostle Paul. I praise you, brethren, that you remember in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Somebody said, well, I don't really even need a pastor. I just, uh, I'm just going to hear from God on my own. Nothing could be more dangerous. The pastor is a covering. In fact, as we're going to get into this uh, today, most women, they have a covering through their husband. But when a woman is a single woman and she does not have a husband, her pastor is her covering. I want to tell you, the spirit world is a dangerous place. And if you do not have a covering, you are open to every kind of ideology, opinions, thoughts. This is exactly why he's saying this. soon as orthodoxy was established in the New Testament, here comes the false doctrine. False doctrine is, is a theme that is addressed throughout the New Testament. Sometimes you don't, you don't see any of the bugs until you flip the light on. When you flip the light on, you start drawing lines and illumination blasts forth. All of a sudden people say, well, I don't see it that way. Well, how do you see it? Well, you know, 
we do this and we do that. We don't believe we have to do this. And I just say, that's not even apostolic. That's not a belief that was even held. Even, even through the 19th century, people believed in what I'm preaching today. This is a 20th century deal where people started being modern because of television and most notably movies, in which it started to impact the masses. It impacted how people dress. It impacted whether people drank. It impacted how people, uh, how they modified their behavior. Everything changed in the 20th century. But I'm telling you, there's some truths. I don't care what comes. I don't care who's president. I don't care who's in Congress. I don't care what this world's doing. I'm going to live and die by the word of God. Verse number three. He firmly puts that nail in a sure place. That you guys are following me. And you guys are doing that which I've already instructed you to do. It's like the Apostle Paul almost premeditated. He almost prefigured that there were going to be people that had a difficulty with what he's about to talk about. Because it is a revelation. It is an exalted view. It is a God-given view of purpose. Of things in life that, that the average everyday churchgoer doesn't see this. Which is why the apostle is addressing this and showing him the incredible importance of your body and what it means to the spirit world. Verse number three. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Paul's saying, it's not me. I'm just filling my office as a God-called pastor, or I'm sorry, apostle. And I guess he was being very pastoral, but he was fulfilling the office of an apostle, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. Now, that wouldn't fly very good today. Women would tear you to shreds if you went to some locations and said, the head of the woman is the man. In their world, the head of the man is the woman. In fact, they believe God is female. They even believe in God. There actually are some people that, that have the gender of God all mixed up. They want to remove the gender out of the word of God so that it's gender neutral. It's silly. It's people left to their own devices. It's a spirit in our world. If you're open to the spirits that are in this world, you will not believe this book as it was given to us by the Holy Ghost. That's why you have to protect it. We've been given the mind of Christ. You have to gird up the loins of your mind and you have to say, I do not believe that. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. I'm standing on the revelation of the word of God. It's not for sale. You can't have it. Philosophy can't have it. YouTube can't have it. Ideologies can't have it. False religion can't have it. has to be the most precious thing in this world to you is an understanding of truth. I'm not drinking any more than one bottle of water because you know what will happen. I'm over 60, which means I won't preach very long. Verse number four, every man praying or prophesying having his head Covered. Now, it's making a distinction here. We've already, got, we've already got God, Christ, man, woman. But now, the man is not to cover his head because it dishonors his head, which is Jesus Christ. He's already established that in verse number 3. 
And then he says in verse number five, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth, having her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. To dishonor her head, it's as if her head was shaved, bald. And Paul only uses two distinctions here. He doesn't get, he doesn't get a tape measure out and measure everybody's hair. He either says cut or shaved. Why do we know, why, why is that a deal? This is a revelation. He's saying, this is how God looks at the church. You have God, Christ, man, woman. This was God's design. It's not up for opinion. It's not up to vote. It's not up for anybody that want to do whatever they want to do. It's the only way this is done. You say, well, my husband is abusive. Just stay submitted as much as you possibly can and let God. See, the woman in Acts, God will only work to the degree that the woman is in her, is in her place. You say, well, I'm here and it doesn't matter what I do. I pray, I chatter, I speak in tongue. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't. That doesn't do it. What God wants to know is, will you assume his position? This is not up for opinion. This is not you saying, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. This is you saying, I see that in the scripture, that if I'll keep my posture, even if my husband isn't right, I'm the one that prays, and God will do the work. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I've seen it happen over and over again, where women stay submitted to God. They stay right with God, and God gets a hold of everything and shakes it loose. Yes. In our world, women just think, well, if my husband's not living for God, then I can cuss him out, throw things, throw a fit, not cook him dinner tonight, and basically not clean the house. I don't recommend that because that's you removing your place from your God-given responsibilities. I would open that to questions, but there's way too many of you here today. Hallelujah. Now, I will fold the clothes once in a while to help my wife out. I will wash the dishes once in a while to help my wife out. But I don't ever ask my wife to change the oil in the truck. I don't ever ask her to go out and check out check the septic tanks. Verse number six, for the woman, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. That is the past tense of shear, which means to cut. But if it be a shame for a woman to be cut or shaven, let her also be covered. That's talking about an artificial covering that was talking about women not feeling conspicuous when you come to God. Now, I will just say this about that. I believe that when you come to God at whatever state that you come to God, that God sees you as perfect from that point forward. 
you don't need an additional covering. You're covered by Jesus Christ. And if your spirit is right and you're submitted to godly authority, you're covered in the chain of command of God, Christ, man, woman. See, this is all talking about covering. Everybody's got a covering. To not be covered in our world is to become a freak. And no man is a match for the spirit world. Nobody. There is not a human being that is a match for the unseen. He can trick you. He can fake you out. He can, he can get into your life unless you're covered. If you're covered, he can't touch you without God's permission. He cannot even get to you without God's permission. He cannot touch your children without God's permission. If you're covered and you're under authority, you have protection. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And ladies and gentlemen, my protection, my protection is not for sale. Not for sale. Verse number seven, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. In Genesis chapter number one, we're not going to turn there, but in Genesis chapter number one, God created man in his image and in his likeness, but he created Eve out of the side of Adam. So you are not only seeing how God perceives the human element, but but you're also seeing how God created. He created in a certain sequence for a particular reason. Let's continue to read here. Verse number 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That is another way of explaining what I just articulated. The woman came out of the man. The man did not come out of the woman. And we're talking about original sequence. Okay? Verse number nine. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. And all the men say amen. And all the women said praise the Lord. You have a good spirit. Verse 10. For this cause, what cause? Is a woman to have authority on her head because of the angels? That's a pretty big deal there. In fact, if you will get on your computer when you get home, if you'll type in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 10, you will see volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes. And vo- this, is, this is one of those scriptures where it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Let's look at the, uh, the previous verses here. Verse number eight. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. For this cause. The man and the woman is God's human equation for establishing originally the kingdom of God in the earth. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. God made them both male and female for the sake of dominion. But as I talked about on Mother's Day, that man cannot do this on his own. And so the woman is the matrix. She is the human medium, if you please, that that combines seed and egg and establishes the dominion in the earth. 
In fact, let's look um, in our Bibles here to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16. Brother Clark's going to help me out there. Genesis 3 and 16. This is God addressing Eve after they ate of the forbidden fruit and their eyes were open. God said, and unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire, notice this, this is, this is twofold. Number one, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. That is not, that's not just saying that you love him. That's not just saying that you want to kiss him. That's saying that you're going to listen to him. You're going to prefer him, and he shall rule over thee. Everybody see this. You say, well, Pastor, you know, I got a, I'm, I'm here with a bunch of problems, and I've got to get a court on Wednesday, and this is going on, and that's going on. What does this mean to me? This means everything. Because we have to line up our lives to the Word of God to have God operate in those other areas. You can't be here today and say, well, I need God to do a miracle for me, and I need to do this, but I'm just going to dismiss all this. No, 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 no. you got to be in it with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and then cast your cares on Him. And God says, I got Wednesday figured out. I got Thursday figured out. I got Friday figured out because I see that you're adopting my will, my word, and my ways. Clap your hands and give God the praise. This is a revelation of how God views the spirit world and he views the human race. But the woman needs authority on her head because of the angels. Well, Genesis chapter 3, you see Lucifer, the adversary, Satan, moving in on Eve and begin to reasoning with her. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 3. The apostle writes in his second letter to the Corinthian church, he writes this warning in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. That's verse 11. Thank you. That's verse 5. Thank you. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, minister. Brother Clark, what are you doing? You're having fun with the pastor. Let's take a little praise break. Let's just lift our hands and praise him. Man, I just love the word of God. Whether it puts me on my face or jumps me onto my feet, I love the word of God. Oh, somebody, let's praise him. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear... Lest by means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Where was her husband? I've heard guys talk about that. Well, pastor, he was standing right there. He was at Cabela's while she was at Nordstrom's. I don't know. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of, this revelation that you're getting here today, when you're, when you're in the Holy Ghost and you see things like God, it's simplicity. God is not asking us to be conformed to this world. God is asking us to walk according to the revelation is how he sees the church in the earth. Well, people are going to make fun of me and it's out of style. How, how am I going to fix it? Who cares? 
Who cares what everybody thinks if you've got a revelation and you understand it's in the Word of God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm walking with power. I'm walking with authority. I'm walking with protection of the Almighty God. Okay. Well, we looked at uh, Genesis chapter number 3. We just looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. They're both recounting the exact same deal. In Genesis 3, God, this is part of the curse. This is not a blessing. When he, he, cur- he put a curse on Eve and said, you're going to be under, your husband will have the rule, the authority over you. Well, when we, when we overlay that on verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the for the man, for this cause of the woman to have authority on her head because of the angels. It protects her. When your wife hears voices, you can say, no, honey, that wasn't God. I, I meant that to be funny, but it's happened before, trust me. A woman that is submitted is a blessed woman. God, Christ, man, woman. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her. I don't need that power. I'm big enough to understand my own deal. Because of the design, the feminine design directly from God, there are some weaknesses that she has that Adam does not have. And God determined that Adam's strengths would be kept in place for as long as the human race would live in this age. No question. No argument. Don't care what Hollywood says. Don't care what New York City says. Don't care what people on the job says. Don't care what other denominations say. Don't care what other people's belief system is. It's in the Word of God. Let's clap our hands and give Him praise. Headship and authority. And we looked at several other scriptures that prove that the woman was to place the man in authority over her. Now, just so that the men don't get out of place, look at verse number 11. The Apostle Paul is now trying to, he's just bringing it back to center now. He says, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. We need each other. You need a husband and a wife. The Apostle Paul just gave a spiritual revelation that God views the woman, regardless of how you see yourself, regardless of what other people say about you, regardless of any other reflection that comes from our world, God sees this chain of command everywhere, all the time. This is how he views the human race in the church. God, Christ, man, woman. So now the Apostle is balancing it out a little bit. And he's, he's I, I don't see him really offering solace, but he is adding additional information to show the reality of it. He didn't just give the man unending power here, okay? Look at, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Every man's got to have a mom, which means that you need a woman in your life. And if you'll listen to your mom, it'll be a lot easier to pastor you. 
Okay, this almost looks like he's double-talking here, but he's not. It, 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 it's all got gravity. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. That is given us before God in terms of a marriage, in terms of procreation, we are on the same level. God will answer my wife's prayers. God loves my wife. He doesn't love me any more than he loves my wife. Y'all getting this? Okay. But in the power structure of authority, she is under the man. But standing before God as an individual in that marriage, she has equal footing with that man. Everybody get that? Verse 13, judge, this is a rhetorical question being asked by the apostle. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Now that's talking about, that is in reference to the statement he said earlier about a woman that is either shorn or shaven. Sometimes when you're talking to your children, you will ask a rhetorical question. And the reason for that is, is you're wanting the response from them to know that they got it. They got it. And the Apostle Paul is asking this question rhetorically because he is believing that they got it. Look at verse number 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Well, you know, pastor, that was just back then. False doctrine. Nature will teach human beings until this thing is wrapped up. What's happened to the human race is we have not listened to nature. Romans chapter 1 fully tells us that, that creation, nature, is the very first portal of revelation. That man should be able to look up in the night sky and see a star and see the moon and see the vast Milky Way and this solar system and say there is a God because only God could do this. Even creation testifies that there is an almighty God. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And if you read through Romans chapter 1, what you're going to see is you're going to see the degeneration, the de-evolvement. Romans chapter 1 is the de-evolution of the human race to where they started out made in the image of God that they should be able to completely recognize that there is a God, and I made in his image, but they began to worship four-footed beasts and creatures and even people. And then, lastly, they deified sexuality. Sexual pleasure. It became an idol, and so God gave man up, and man became reprobate. And so you're watching man. Man is, is starting out as God created him. But when you don't worship God as revealed first by nature. I want to tell you something. I was present when I watched my kids get born. And there is nobody but God that can do that. When you see eyes and fingers and somebody that looks like you for six months and then looks like your wife the next six months and 
None looks like grandpa at one year old and looks like grandma and bounces all over the family. Only God can do that. For somebody to look at a, at a flower as it blossoms this time of year, and it's a beautiful place to be with all the lilacs and, and all the flowers, and to think that somehow you and I came from monkeys and it was just a roll in the dice with evolution, that is an insult to the Almighty God. You've come to a place that believes there's only one God, and his name is Jesus, and he created the worlds. He spoke the worlds into existence. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. That is the beginning of all revelation, is nature, is the relays, and only God could do that. Only God could make a mountain. Only God could make a fish. Only God could make a bird. Only God could make you and I. But when you move away from nature being a fount of revelation and understanding, and you're left to your own devices, you begin to worship creation and you begin to ignore the creator and when you do that God begins to let you go to your own devices and I'm not here just making some sociological slur but I'm just telling you that homosexuality transgenderism lesbianism all this stuff is is a curse well I was born this way well that's why you got to be born again Dude, I don't care what you are in this life. We're all messed up. But once you go down in the name of Jesus, you're coming up a new creature. You knock that off. You kick that devil out. Cast that spirit out by the authority. Well, I don't know about that. You know, we're, we're living in a world where they ought to be president. They ought to be everything. I mean, they're everywhere. What are we going to do? You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Clap your hands and give God the praise. We're not putting anybody down. I'm saying we all got to go to the water. We all got to speak in tongues. Uh, We all got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, We all got to have the power to walk this life. This is a God thing. You are never going to get me to buy into this nonsense in this world. It shows you the depravity of a world that's that's not worshiping God. God's just saying, I'm just taking my hands off you. You guys just go your own way. And the church is right smack dab in the middle of a world that that the Spirit of God has not been able to influence them. But you and I can influence them. And the doors will remain open. And the lights are flipped on. We're not rejecting our world. I want to tell you, this is for everybody. I don't care how bad off you are. I don't care how bad you've messed up. The blood is for everybody. The grace is for everybody. The power is for everybody. But you got to do it God's way. you got to do it according to truth. Clap your hands and give him praise. Some people would say, ah, you know, I'm ready to call Al Sharpton. We'll call Al Sharpton. Invite Al to church. I'd love to lay my hands on his head. Knock that silly spirit out of him a million miles out of here. God's big enough. First place that we get revelation is from nature. Well, I just don't understand what you're saying, Pastor. Quit smoking pot. Get your brain back. 
My God, how bizarre are, is our world any better off from legalizing marijuana? I'm telling you, God can bust that spirit wide open and give you your right mind back. I'm here to tell you the greatest revival, arguably, in the New Testament was not in Jerusalem. The greatest revival was at Gadara. I'm working on another project that I'm going I'm to make available to this, to this congregation on sexual redemption. You have to register to be a part of this because there's fine print involved if you're going to be in that class because we're going we're gonna to be real straight. We're going to talk real clear, and God is going to deliver people. But the wild man of Gadara is the perfect of a person that is suffering from addiction. Number one, he was isolated. Isolation, you can be sitting right next to your wife. You can be sitting right next to your brother. You can be sitting right next to your best friend and still be in isolation. And isolation is the birthplace. It is, it is the birthplace of addiction. You were not made for addiction. You were made for relationship. And I was sharing this with the men yesterday. Previous models of addiction have always thought that it was the addictive cycle that began with neurotransmitters in the brain. You and I are a walking pharmacy. We already have all these drugs in us. All it takes is an image, and that dopamine kicks in. So what you've done is you don't, you don't need opiates. All you need is dopamine that's already in your body. But you need something. You need a stimulus to kick that into gear. But they have found that that is not the thing that keeps people in bondage. What it is is isolation. They have found that when people begin to communicate and people get back and they can bond with human beings and you're okay and I'm okay and you're good and I'm good and you can communicate flat-footed without shame and fear and guilt and self-disgust. Those are what keep people in hiding. It's self Bondage is self-regenerative. You, you make a mistake, you go back into shame. You, you, you commit a sin, you look at internet pornography, you go back into shame. Nobody can ever reach you. But once you get into relationship and you find out how fulfilling that is, got to be washed, you got to be cleansed, you need to be healed. And then you find, I don't need that anymore. I've got community. I've got purpose. Clap your hands and give God the praise. God is big enough. God is powerful enough to pull you off that pew and make you brand new. Pastor, I was just wondering if you want to start drugs and alcohol programs in the church. I said, we already got one every Sunday. Dude, we don't need to take you in a back room and pull out some chart and go, no, uh... Step number three is we need to talk about this. No, you need to get in this altar and say, God, I tried to do it my way, and I messed everything up. But I'm reading in the Bible that it, somebody shout with a voice of triumph. We already got a drug and alcohol program. Granddaughter's still all messed up because she don't come to church. She's in treatment. I'm telling you, a good solid four weeks have come to this church. God will become your treatment. 
prayer will become your therapy. Worship will be, you're looking at an ex-junkie. You're looking at an ex-alcoholic. All I needed was a church that would love me week in and week out and help me find my place in the altar. Somebody clap your hands and give God a good shout right now. Hallelujah. I'm almost done. Then we can go have street tacos. What's a street taco? It's laced, man, with love. I like that. Some of you people think I'm crazy. I am. I am crazy. I am crazy about this. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I've seen it so many times. I've seen good people come to this church, and they sit there. They go, okay. It's a little different, but it feels good. They seem sincere. But when Brother Martin takes a lap, and those keys are doing the loop-de-loop, it's like, honey, I'm going to start the car. No, you don't need to start no car. You need to start your life over in an altar where God can say, this is me. I've walked with you every day of your life. I've been waiting for you to reach out to me. Well, I'm just worried that I'm going to have to look Pentecostal, and I, I just don't want to dress that way. I don't want to. If it pleases God, who cares what the world thinks? Why are you trying to fit in when God's trying to call you out? We want to hide in the world, and God's saying, no, 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 I like you too much to let you. fit in. We want to look like the world. God says, you ain't never going to be like the world. You got my name. You got my power. You've got my spirit. Somebody over here shout, do something. Let's clap our hands and get my God. I feel like God's going to break somebody's chains today. I feel, my God, God's in the healing mood here today. Why don't you say, say God, heal me. God, deliver me. God, save me. I've been to the doctor. I've spent thousands. Can God do anything? You may be seated. Pardon me. I get excited. Doesn't nature... Teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a shame unto him. Only if people are listening to nature. Nature's first dimension of understanding God. Word of God is the second dimension. Spirit of God, third dimension. Look at verse 15. We're almost done. Street taco. Cisco Kids Street Tacos. Okay. Just having fun. Why not? Look at somebody just say, why not? Okay. Look at verse 15. I'm almost done. 
If a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Why? They're not asking what Paris thinks, New York City, fashion designers. They don't care what Oprah thinks. Look at verse 15. For her hair is given her for a veil. Who gave it to her? Who designed? I mean, these, these realities had to come from someone. They didn't come from our world. Otherwise, there wouldn't even be a need to make these kind of distinctions. This is completely outside of the world's thinking and the world's mentality. A woman's hair is determined to be long, uncut, if you bring verses 4, 5, and 6 into it, because her hair is given to her as a veil, and the veil is the covering. Everything you read that we've read in the last 11 verses, she has two coverings. She has a man, and she has her hair. And the sign that she, to the angelic realm, that she is under submission, is that her hair is her veil. Now, you thought that hair was yours. No, your, your, your body doesn't even belong to you. Your soul doesn't even belong to you. That, your life is not even your own. The Bible said you were bought with the price. Therefore, worship God in your body and your spirit, for you are God's. See, that's the problem in our world. We don't know who's, no, man, that's mine, and I can do whatever I want to with mine. Well, next time you need a healing, you remember that. Next time you need to get out of a tight spot, you remember that. But to those of you that have obeyed God and said, that's God, that's all I need. I don't need an angel to show up in the night. I don't need to, I don't need to have cancer. I don't need a problem. I'm going to obey the word of God because I belong to God. hair and so if that's tampered with the spirit world already you get a woman that's praying for her children and lay her hair out on an altar and say God you gave me this and so I'm sending prayers up in my right posture in my right position with my veil you thought veil were just for those pictures that you see of Catholics, Orthodox Catholics over in the old country. No. That's apostolic. But they, they messed up. They think we needed another veil, like either doilies or a hat or some fabric. No fabric, no hat, no other covering is articulated here. Just a man and your hair. Thank God for the truth of the word of God. God saw a 30-year-old man, Brother Sergeant, that was dying his hair white, running around on drugs, wearing go-go boots, was an absolute total embarrassment to my family. And God said, I wonder what that guy do if we filled him up with my spirit. You want him just kind of sit there like this with his mother? 
just kind of act like I ain't got no spunk and no spark and just sit there and like, well, I don't know what's going on. God said, no, I'm calling that guy out because I want someone like that that's a firebrand. I don't want this world to think that Hollywood, the Avengers, is better than a saint of God. I don't want our world to think there's a superhero that does more than the laying on of hands and the calling of the name of Jesus. I don't want our world to think that a rock star and a rap star and somebody in our world has got more power and more influence than an almighty God. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. God sees you as a firebrand and as an example in a lost world.